All right, welcome to the Book Club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. This is a Financial Freedom Book Club interview with Michael Blanc. He is the leading authority on apartment building investing in the United States. He's passionate about helping others become financially free in three to five years by investing in apartment building deals with a special focus on raising money. Through his investment company, he controls over 24 million in performing multifamily assets all over the United States and has raised over $6 million. In addition to his own investing activities, he's helped students purchase over 1,600 units valued at over $55 million through his unique deal desk and training programs. He is the author of the best-selling book, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing, and host of the popular Apartment Building Investing Podcast. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you doing today? Hey, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, such a, such a huge fan of the, the book, the podcast, and your coaching. You do such a great job. I really like how well-spoken you are and how you can get across some complicated tasks in simple-to-understand forms with action-based steps. So kudos to you. Well, thank you so much. That's really, really why I wrote the book is because uh, it seems very complicated. The whole idea of quitting your job with real estate and then, then I talk about apartment buildings. And people go, oh my gosh, you know, and they become so overwhelmed. I'm like, man, you know, it's not that complicated. And maybe I do have a bit of a knack for explaining complicated things in, in, in ways that people can understand. But thank you for that. Yeah, well said. And Michael, you want to tell me a little bit about yourself for listeners? You know, I have a background like like a lot of people, uh, you know, I was taught to go to school, get good grades, get a good job with benefits. And that's kind of what I did. Um, I have a computer science background. So I was actually a programmer, went to America Online, and then in the late 90s, joined a software startup. And that put a bunch of money in my pocket. And then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the purple book, and uh, subsequently lost my uh, IPO millions in the restaurant business while I was dabbling with some real estate. And I clawed myself out of it in real estate, but like so many other people with single family houses until, and I picked up an apartment building and I did this and that, that, the other thing. And I was like, man, this, this house flipping thing, we flipped like three dozen houses. I'm like, this, 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 this house flipping thing is insanity. And meanwhile, this apartment building is just sending me boring mailbox money. And, I, and that's when I went, oh my gosh. And the problem was I was making good money on the house flipping side, but I was like, man, this is not really what I wanted. I wanted financial freedom. I wanted to control my time. And yes, I accomplished the real estate thing, but it really wasn't what I was after. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to control my time. And, and, and I, I just found myself not being able to do that because there was always phone calls. I had to go here, I had to go there. And I read all the four-hour work week things and the systems. But still, it was a very active business. And worse, when I actually sold the house, the money would stop flowing. And, and so I then decided to shift into multifamily. And then studying it through my podcast and working with students now, I am like convinced that is the most direct path to quitting your job or any financial freedom you want out of any business. And I've done a lot and have observed than anything else. And this is really the motivation behind the book because I, I think I figured out the blueprint. Not, not so much for myself because I violated my blueprint. It took me 12 years to figure it out. But as I study it more and more and more with others uh, that they've done it over and over again in a very short period of time, quitting a job in, you know, in one or two years, that's powerful. How do they do that? Are there commonalities? And that's really kind of what I wrote the book around. around. And that's great. And I, I think you have such a, a wonderful history and you're so well-rounded. You've been in a, a million different jobs, but the one that stuck out the most was the pizza venture. And I had to ask you about that. What do you <laughs> want to ask about that? It was one of those things where when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was like immediately thought this because I was surrounded by a bunch of uh, burger franchisees who were crushing it. 
And they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna hire a guy, they're gonna run everything. We invest in it, it's a passive investment and we just sit back and count the passive income. So coming fresh off of Rich Dad Poor Dad, I was like, poof, I'm all in. So I took all my chips, you know, I flipped a couple houses, but really my big idea, Scott, was the restaurants. And it was a good idea, but my gosh, I know the recession was there. That was hard to foretell, but there was some other things I didn't do. I didn't have a mentor to temper my enthusiasm. And I wasn't, and the other thing is I became very complacent. I was in the state of semi-retirement. I met with my guy once a week and, you know, looked over the numbers, but really I wasn't paying any attention. It was sending me money every single month. And I didn't notice that where our profit margins were eroding. And when I noticed it, things went so fast, so quickly that it created a, a massive problem for me. And I, I, I basically exhausted all my cash. I added $200,000 of unsecured credit on top of that. I had left over from the heyday before the recession and uh, you know, maxed out my credit cards. And it was, a, it was a really bad situation. So that's all about that. However, you know, it kind of made me the person who I am, a little more re resilient, a little calmer, okay, a lot calmer, and a little <laughs> more paranoid uh, than I was maybe in 2005. Interesting. Now, why do you say paranoid? Yeah, I mean, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're just starting out, and I see this with our students all the time, they have what I call happy ears, right? Happy ears is that you really want to do a deal. And I really wanted to deploy my money because I felt it was burning a hole in my pocket. It wasn't earning passive income. So I felt this huge urgency to deploy my capital. So we find just newbies who really want to do their deal. And I really want to help them do their first deal. But then there's the, the, the other caution. Is it prudent to do that first deal or is it maybe better not to do that first deal? And, uh, and a lot of times there's this conflict between the two. But for example, when we do deals right now, I'm looking at the downside. I'm looking at the risk. What could possibly happen? And we collectively, you know, we're expecting some kind of market correction in the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, what could that look like? How do we, what could happen? And what, what things can we do to mitigate those risks? And so I, I, I really look at the downside almost as much as the, as the upside. And my investors appreciate that, obviously, but I didn't really used to do that. I never used to look at the termination clause in a contract or the default clause in a, in a contract. I was like, ah, who needs that? It's so far in the future and, and, and it'll never happen anyway. And of course it did happen. And all of a sudden you're, you're going through the contracts and you're like, oh my gosh, I signed this. Did I really sign this? Did I personally just guarantee that? Oh my gosh. And so just becoming a lot more aware of, uh, of what could happen and then managing it. That's great. I, I love how you made that a life lesson, right? It, it's made you a little bit stronger and, and paranoid, but paranoid in a good way, right? And following way, through. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. And, you know, financial freedom. So, uh, you know, I, I love that, that word, right? And I think that's what most real estate investors and investors in general want to get to that point. And, you know, after that point, you know, reevaluate and what you want to do going forward. So what does that mean for you, financial freedom? Well, it's not so much what it means for me so much, so I'm happy to, to answer. But really, when I, when I ask the same question, uh, I ask it all the time, what does financial freedom do? What I'm not getting is I'm not getting all one million dollars. Um, some people answer that way, but, but the vast majority answer it like this. And I would agree with that is that people want to control their time. It comes around controlling their time because the primary breadwinner winners, uh, typically male in our society, they can't reconcile that their, and, and their responsibilities to provide for their families. That's why we go to work, uh, every day. Um, but then now we lose our control of our time and, and, but, but that bothers us because we're not spending time with our, with our children, with our family, with our spouses. We're not really doing the things that we love and we can't reconcile the two. How, do, how can I provide for my family and at the same time control my time? And there's this tension and it, 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 there's this giant discontent that's growing more and more uh, in, our, in our society of I, I need to solve this. You know, I should be able to solve this. And so that really is financial freedom 
reconciling too. Yes, I'm providing for my family on the one hand, but I'm controlling my time at the same time. And that's typically financial freedom. And it comes in tiers. It's tier one is how can I generate enough income from real estate to cover my living expenses? Now, if I can lower my living expenses, I can accelerate the process. And that's tier one. Once I can do that, according to Robert Kiyosaki's definition, you're financially free because now I don't have to work anymore. And I, maybe I don't have the lifestyle one. I'm not driving the, you know, the Mercedes or Lamborghini at this point. And all of a sudden, my, my, I move my, my, my goalpost a little bit. But that first one is getting your time back, right? And that's really the primary goal. And that should be the primary goal. So what I advise people is, you know, figure out how to lower your living expenses and then figure out how to get passive income from, uh, from real estate. And, you know, in my case, it's, it's with apartments. Well said. So, you know, what are the three ways people can get involved with apartments? Well, there's what I love about it, but there's multiple ways you can get involved. One is mm -hmm. the, the obvious route. You can be what I call the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur goes out and makes a bunch of stuff happen, happen from nothing. They go find the deal, they go raise the money, they put the manager in place and it's awesome. I'm, I'm the entrepreneur and a lot of people are, but not everybody is. There's a different kind of entrepreneur, which I'm going to kind of call the money raiser. Now the money raiser are relationship people and they have access to high net worth individuals. And what's happening now, there's, a, there's this growing audience or people of money raisers and what they do is they raise money for people like me. And there's more people like me also. And what we do is we joint venture with them and we work them into the general partnership of a deal and they raise a bunch of money for us. And it's fabulous. And then there's a third one, which are the passive investors. These are high income, high net worth earners. And what they have a lot of is money. What they have little of is time. And they have the same goal though that you and I have, which is, hey, I want to control my time. I want to get out of, I don't want to be a partner in my law firm for the next 10 years. I don't like that because I'm wearing my tail off, but I'm making a bunch of money. So why don't I take some of that and passively invest that in some of these deals and once I do that enough, I build up the, the cash flow and the wealth so I can actually exit out of my you know, law firm, for example. And that's what I find about so exciting is there's so many different ways uh, that people can get involved. Mm. And that brings up an interesting point. And I, I always ask this, this is my favorite thing when I'm looking at mentors and successful people. Um, I, I ask them to reflect back at the beginning and, and if so, would they do anything different? So let's put, let's put you back in the early 2000s, Michael. And you know, you've got some capital, you just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What would be your best way to get involved? Well, now that I have my book, here's what I would have done. Right after meeting Rich Dad, I would have handed myself my book, slapped myself in the, in the face and said, do that. <laughs> uh, that's right, because my gosh, had I gotten into you know, apartment buildings, even frankly, even before the recession, even before the recession, um, it would have been much different. And certainly I would have been buying everything under the sun in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, right? And, and yeah. no one was losing money in the last five, five years. And so that's what I would have done differently. I would have said, hey, you know, the restaurants are nice, don't do that. Uh, real estate is better. Don't do single family houses. And I said, you know, I would have told myself to get right into multifamily because the, the passive income and the scale and the wealth creation of multifamily is, is staggering. The tax benefits are, I mean, we can talk a whole episode about the tax benefits. And I interviewed Tom Wheelwright recently and I saw him speak last week and, and my gosh, he's so experienced, he's so passionate about this stuff. And I'm starting to get more passionate about the tax benefits, but essentially you don't hardly pay any taxes on the income you get from this, from this real estate. It's crazy. And the arguments would have been so overwhelming versus I would have looked at the restaurant business and it, there would have been things that are fundamentally wrong with that. Uh, you know, and, and that, that's what I would do differently. And that's kind of what I, that's my mission right now is, Hey, at least take a look at it. I'm not saying everybody should be a multifamily mm -hmm. investor, but at least consider it with an open mind. 
Of course. And, and when you, like you said, you compare those facts and that scalability in there, it's, it's just, and I think that's the most important thing is when you can remove yourself from the puzzle and have that growth, like the active income versus passive income and right there and there. I, I, and I love that blueprint. So I want to talk some, you know, each, some of the bullet points that I got from out of that blueprint and the, and the first one, and I, I love this because I hear it from you. It's law of the first deal. So what does that mean? <laughs> Man, this is, this is what gets me the most excited about this uh, because, because on the surface, it looks like getting into apartment buildings is, is really difficult. It's complicated. Uh, the hurdle is so high that really is for very advanced people with a lot of money. And uh, I thought the same thing, right? So I don't, I don't blame any for, for doing that. But now after, after having studied it, uh, so far, I, what, I came up with a single, I didn't really come up with it. I simply observed it from talking to people. And mm -hmm. on my podcast, the, my favorite shows, the ones that are most downloaded are the stories of people who have quit their jobs. Everybody wants to quit their job. Well, how did you do it? And the majority of them, not all, but the vast majority of them, they, they start with uh, single family houses and they're like, my gosh, this takes too long, too much work. And they shift gears towards uh, multifamily. And of course they have to start raising money. And so I always ask them on, on the guest, uh, Scott, I said, when did you decide to get into multifamily? What was going on in your life? Uh, and I have like a dozen case studies in the book, but one of them was Brad, Brad Tasha, because I remember the story. He goes, man, I would, my, my wife and I's goal was to buy one rental property per year, one or a year. And they had that, that for five years, they had five rental properties. Hmm. But it would have taken another five years for him because he, he was in a, a project manager at an engineering place and it would have taken him too long. And his, his daughter, I don't know how old is this, she was maybe nine or 10 or something like that. And, and she asked him if she would uh, come to her asylum the next day. And she goes, no, honey, I'm sorry. I have to work tomorrow. And her face dropped in disappointment. And from that moment on, something clicked in his mind. And he goes, I can't, five, I can't wait five years anymore. It's unacceptable to me. My five-year plan, as good as it is, is no longer acceptable. And he started to immediately shift into multifamily. Didn't know what it meant. Had no idea how to do it. But at that moment, he decided. And it took him just under two years to quit his job from that very moment. Uh, and almost every one of my case studies is either one to two years from the moment of decision. And mm -hmm. it happens because of the law of the first deal. What happens is they get into this thing and, they, and they're, you know, and they're really nervous about it. And they do a, they, you know, they do a duplex and it takes them really long to do. It. it takes them 12 to 18 months to do a duplex, which is insane. You've done a bunch of single family houses. You can probably buy one in 30 days and be done with it. You know, uh, let's say it takes you a really long time. It takes you 12 months to buy a daggone duplex. I mean, it's ridiculous, but mm -hmm. let's say it does. What happens now, the law of the first deal kicks in and that second one comes in within weeks of that first one and it's normally bigger. Uh, and then the third one comes. And so what happened, the progression is <clears throat> two units, 10 units, 25 units, 50 plus. And so pick your favorite entry point. If you can't wrap your head around a 50 unit, then uh, maybe do a 10 unit or a two, it doesn't really matter. The point is they progressively get faster. And so what happens is that first deal takes a really long time as the smallest. And then in year two, they do two deals. Um, it, now, if you're replacing a $10,000 per, per, if your living expense are $10,000, you're a high income earner. You probably know people that are also high income earners. You're probably not going to start with a duplex because it's really easy to do, but it's not meaningful enough. So you might start with a 10 unit. So you have a 10, 25, 50 unit. And now within two years, you have 100 units that you've syndicated and you're covering your living expenses right? And now you can quit your job. And so that's the power of the law, law of the first deal. So I can, I can reduce this complex thing of how do I quit my job? Oh, I need 500 million units to do so down to just one thing. 
Mm. Uh, and that is your first deal. And, and I'm going to push you to, I'm going to push your comfort zone if I can to go as big as you can to, to make a first meaningful step. But if you, if you can't, then start with a duplex, start with a 10 unit. It doesn't matter because the effect and the outcome is exactly the same. And so now I can focus my entire resources on helping you do, do that one thing. Because I know if you do, if you, I can help you do that one thing, the other stuff happens essentially automatically. And that really is the power, the power of that law of the first deal. And I love that you, you reference it in the book that, you know, the one thing and in, in focusing our extreme task on it. Okay. What one thing is going to push me towards my goal and what should I do right now? But you took it a step further and this is what I like and it's helped me tremendously in the last week. And, and I think we need that refresher after reading a good book, but you say the next three to do's, right? Yeah. So I've been taking okay. a sticky note, one, two, three, and I'm like, everything else is a distraction, Scott. One, check it off, move on. So I love that. Yeah. yeah that's, I mean, that, let's, let's talk about it for a second. That's, that's great that you uh, picked up on that because you know, there are 100, 101 steps to doing these things. And if, if you start thinking about it, your mind goes into overwhelm mode, right? And, they, and it mm -hmm. starts to shut down saying, oh my gosh, there's so many steps I got to do. Like that. And when that happens, and what if this happens? And you're like, wow. So, and I, this is, I, I do this a lot. I always, now Gary Keller in his book, The One Thing talks about the one thing. And I get that. For me, it's always the three things, right? Mm -hmm. And I use it in various time frames, kind of like he does. So I'll say, you know, for this to be a, su a success day, what are the three things I need to accomplish today? For this mm -hmm. week to be successful, what are the three things I need to do? And, and it's not emails and phone calls and the other thing, though they could be, but it's really something else, right? And then Gary Keller really talks about how you schedule time to achieve those things so that when, no matter what happens, what fires are there, you have accomplished those three things. What are the three things you want to accomplish this month for this to be a meaningful month? What are the three things you want to accomplish in 90 days? And now you're just thinking of three things. I mean, a simplistic level, everybody can come up with three things. And it's not like thinking beyond your horizon. It's like, I mean, you can tell me right now what the next three things are. Anyone can. I need to go to a rear meeting. I need to read this book. I need to call a property manager. Like, okay, I got it. Now, you might not be able to tell me how am I going to raise $500,000 right now, but that's not, that's not relevant right now. Don't, don't, don't even start thinking about that right now. And then what happens is, you do this blindly for a couple months and you look up and you're like, holy cow, look at how far I've come. And you would never have even started the journey because you wouldn't even, you would have been overwhelmed and you would have said, nah, I'm good. It's too complicated. I love it. I in, in breaking that down. And I, and that's what you've done a really nice job in the book is, is breaking down those complex tasks. You know, you bring it right from right 90 days, right? That, that's your game plan from a 90 day recommendation from someone just starting out to financial freedom. And you go through that through the book with actionable advice and it's phenomenal. It's, it's such a great job because it's linear. You can, you're reading it along. You're like, okay, I understand that. I understand that. And you're building off it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an analytical guy, right? That's why I kind of gravitate towards, towards you know, programming. Cause I'm just, I'm just, give me this, give me this, the, the sequential steps. Don't, don't make me figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. and I, cause I'm that way I consume information uh, that way. That's the only way I know how to, how to do things. That's great. That's you. Yeah, no. And, that, and that's your strength and you're, you're playing to that. And, and I know, you know, successful students that have come by your programs that are, that are my friends and, and they just said the, the best of things and, you, and they're doing deals. So that's, that's it's, great. it's working. Um, so I want to talk about, you know, the, after the law, of the first deal. So let's go into finding the best way to find deals. Yeah, the best feeling on that deals is uh, it's, it's it's fairly simple. It's through brokers, right? And um, and and through building relationships with with brokers. Because brokers make it their business to 
try to, the good ones at least, to try to know every apartment building owner in a, in a city. And they send them mm -hmm. postcards, they call them, they try to take them out to lunch so that when they're ready to sell, they call them uh, first. So they already know who they are. Um, and, and so really focusing on finding those and a great way to find some of these realtors is something called LoopNet, loopnet.com. It's a free site. And yes, you can find deals sometimes, but really more importantly, it's kind of the directory of, of realtors, of not realtors of, of, of brokers. Cut a spreadsheet and you start calling them. And you know, I got to make sure you educate yourself that you're using, uh, you're using good language when you call them. You use a script for that, because what you don't want to you don't want to sound like a newbie when you when you call them, because they'll remember that. And the the you'll know immediately that you were a newbie when after your conversation, the first thing the broker says, hey, this is great, Scott. Um, send me your proof of funds and I'll send you more information about the deal. <laughs> and that is, that is their default line to make the newbie go away because you're just going to waste their time. So don't do that. Don't be that guy. Make sure that you educate yourself, uh, build a team so you sound credible and then call them. And it's just a matter of, of building a relationship with them. And you do this by uh, staying in touch with them, by being responsive when they do send you a deal. And then maybe even hopping on a plane and meeting the brokers you've spoken with, because that sets you apart from 90% of uh, other people on your list. And all of a sudden now you're on a different level than everybody else. Uh, someone who's actually serious, even if you don't have your deal yet. So that's the number one uh, um, source of deals. And then what happens after a while, maybe two, three, four months is when you do this, uh, they start taking you more seriously and they will give you some of these off market listings uh, because, you know, brokers are kind of lazy like everybody else. And Hey, I got this deal coming up. I don't have a listing agreement signed yet. I'm, uh, I don't, I won't have the parking marketing package ready for another, you know, 10 days, but I'll send you the T12 and the rent roll. And if you come in somewhere around this range, you know what, maybe I don't have to actually list it. And now you're only competing with either nobody or maybe uh, two or three, four guys. And that's where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. And then God forbid you actually, close on a deal and now your life is different now brokers are calling you now you're on now they're sending postcards to you because they know that you bought a deal they'll refer you know and so now that's and again the reason why a lot of the first deal happens so to answer your question brokers work brokers take them to lunch make them feel good uh and make sure they take you seriously great advice now how to analyze deals and you have something called the 10 minute rule of thumb 10 minute offer yeah um so, uh, I mean, when I first got started in 2007 with this stuff, it took me four hours to quote, analyze a deal and, and make an offer. And it's because I didn't have the technique we have today and I didn't have the tools we have today either. It was a combination of the two, but mm. it, fundamentally, if you get a, a marketing package from a broker, um, and it takes you four hours to come up with a, with a, with a price uh, inevitably that price is going to be below asking, right? So let's say it's 8% below asking. And after your four hours, you, you say, Hey, yeah, this price won't work for me, but here's what would. And there's no, there's crickets on the other end. Well, <laughs> obviously you missed the mark by a mile yet. You just wasted four hours of your life. Um, and you're nowhere near what they're looking for. And so how can you accelerate that, that, and, and the way to do that is really um, using the 10 minute offer. And you basically use what is in the, in the marketing package. You don't, you don't spend time on the internet. You don't make phone calls. You use what's in the, uh, in the marketing package um, almost, um, and you just use that. So the way you do it, the way you value commercial real estate is, is something, uh, there's kind of three levels. It's the net operating income, the cap rate, and then the price, right? So, so typically, the value of a building is a net operating income, which is uh, the net income and the net expenses, and that's the net operating income. So how much money is coming in? 
Uh, and then there's something called a cap rate. Uh, it's, it's really, it's the really a, an, a multiplier of the net operating income. And this is why the more income a property makes, the more it's worth because they're tied together. So this cap rate is, is very simple. It's like a multiplier. How much, what multiplier are, are people willing to pay for a box that produces X amount of money? Okay. And, and, and it varies. It varies by, you know, uh, that multiplier is lower uh, is <clears throat> that multiplier. I'm sorry. Well, people are willing to pay more for a box that produces income if it's in a nice area and looks pretty. Right. Uh, and the returns are lower. Right. So it's an inverse kind of multiplier in, in some mm. sense. And, and the, and the, you know, the, the less nice a property is people are willing to pay less for that. Everybody wants to own a luxury building, but they're willing to put up a lower return multiplier. But anyway, it's the value is really net operating income divided by this multiplier or the cap rate. So the lower the cap rate is, the higher the value is. So, mm -hmm. and people are uh, glossing over my, I just, I just put an equation in a podcast. Okay. So, <laughs> so don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll bubble it up again, but really the, the procedure is the following. You take the income in a marketing package and invariably the income will be over reported because the vacancy rate is 4%. Well, in most parts of the country, the vacancy rate plus bad debt concessions, blah, 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 is more like 10%. So you take the 4%, you throw it out and you use 10%. So you take the gross income as when everybody would be paying the rent on time, which never happens, and everything's occupied, which also never happens. You take 10% off that number and that now is your, let's say your net, your net income, all right? That's coming in. And then you take your expenses and the expenses are you know, always underreported, right? So the expenses are now 38% of income. You're like, God is horse manure. And you use the 50% rule, right? The 50% rule is you just take the expenses, uh, to take the net income that you did from, from exercise one, you take half of that and those are your real expenses. And now mm -hmm. you have an adjusted net operating income, right? So obviously, right, A minus B equals C. And then you take the cap rate. Now, where does the cap rate come from? The cap rate is normally in the marketing package from the broker. And in the off chance, it's not in the marketing package. You call up the broker and say, hey, what cap rate are properties like this trading at? And he must know this because otherwise he wouldn't have come up with price. They go, oh, it's on eight cap. I was like, okay, great, thank you. Let me, uh, let me call you right back. Then you take the eight cap, you take your adjusted NOI, you divide it by eight, and now you get your adjusted fair market value of the building, which invariably is below asking. So you're not doing a bunch of research, takes you 10 minutes to get this out of the operating, uh, out of the marketing package. And then you call the broker up and say, hey, your, um, your asking price won't work for me. Uh, your, your income, in my experience, is a, is a bit, you're only using 4%. In my experience, it's 10%. Uh, your, and your expenses look low. I didn't have a time to, 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 to dig into it, but it's only 30% of income, which typically I've seen in properties in this area is 50%. So if it, and he goes, wow, oh, okay. So I adjusted the income and I took the 8% cap rate you gave me earlier, and now the fair market value is blah which is of course below asking, uh, you know, is there any flexibility in the seller or probably not? And if they say, well, not, then that's great. You only invested 10 minutes in this thing and you move on to the next deal. If they say, well, why don't you put something in writing? Well, now you can pull out the spreadsheets, right? And mm -hmm. now you can do a little internet study and now you can start talking to people because now you have a live one. And then for that, we have our analysis spreadsheet is called a syndicated deal analyzer. Uh, and that's what we're using uh, for, for the kind of the next phase. But that's a 10 minute offer in a nutshell. That is a beautiful nutshell. I think that's, you explained it so simply. Like, I don't, I don't think, you know, as a former teacher, I'm, I'm trying to ha take my knowledge from someone who can explain it simply enough. And 
that was that was great. I think the listeners are gonna have to repeat that three three minutes just to grasp the, those concepts. But it's awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. So you know, we threw on our you know deal and you know getting offers ex- accepted. Uh, you know, any tips getting through that point? Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Um, you know, you look at twenty uh, one year old Jake Volan, and he is looking at ten million dollar de- deals. Got no experience, no money. Obviously, he's young. And this broker is literally putting him in the best and final rounds of, of these $10 million deals. Why is this happening? And it's not an isolated case. Why is this happening? How can you take a 20 year old seriously? And it, and, I, and if I come out now, obviously, you know, and it's really, it really comes into, uh, into, into how you overcome this lack of experience, right? The two main mm-hmm. objections people have, I don't have money on experience. How do you overcome that? And, and if you know how to overcome that, then it answers the other question about how, how do you get things under, under contract or get your offers accepted? It really comes from being taken seriously. Because if, if you're not taken seriously, you never get to that point. But if you are, you obviously are invited. If your numbers are right, or at least in the ballpark, you will be invited to submit offers. And it typically starts with a letter of intent and you get an agreement under that and you move to a, to a contract. But it's really all about being taken seriously. And there's really two ways to, to do that. And I spent a lot of time on the book in that, but one is get educated. Now, yes, you can come you know, to our training or our events or our coaching. Uh, there's other people that train you, find someone that you, you know, really resonate with and, and just pay them money to get educated. It's very simple to do. You can get very educated. You can sound very intelligent, use the right language within 30 days or less. That's number one. Number two, build your team around you, right? And it's very important because now you call up the broker when you call them up for the first time after you are educated yourself and you built your team and you say, Hey, uh, uh, so-and-so broker. And they say, well, who are you? I said, well, I'm really nobody, but I'm working with Sam over here who has got, you know, a, a property management company, XYZ who manages 5,000 units. And he goes, Oh, Sam's a great guy. You know, I do business with him all the time. And so now you're not talking about you cause you're really nobody. And you're talking about Sam, who's a somebody, right? And so now, and then you can talk about your SEC attorney and your real estate attorney at a title company XYZ, who they probably already know. So build a team with the best players in whatever market you're going to. Everybody knows. And now you've built a really strong team and that sets you apart as well. And when you do the combination of those things, and Jake hopped on a plane, he's got hardly any money. He's in the Air Force Academy, jumps out of planes. He literally is spending this last dime to hop on a plane to go meet with these brokers and they're like, Oh my gosh, who's this young guy? He doesn't have any money. He's, he's he must be freaking serious. And he is, he's, he's really serious. And you do this combination of things and these brokers start taking you more and more seriously. And, and that's really how you get to the point where you're invited to a $10 million deal. Phenomenal. I love it. Taking action, right? <laughs> um, you said something, you know, great in the beginning and I want to revisit that. And, and this is on the topic of mentor and coaching, right? Um, when you got excited, you read the book, you're ready to go, 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 right? And But you said something along the lines of, I didn't have a mentor to kind of, you know, keep me in control. So so let's talk about that process. Well, in my case with the restaurants, I had a bunch of money. And I was like, I'm the man. And, um, you know, it gave me just enough rope to hang myself. And now, you know, I have, I have mentors and coaches for anything I want to do. And yes, this requires an investment. And I'm kind of a, kind of a cheap guy, you know? And I was like, why am I paying 10, 15, whatever, whatever amount to it? A lot of money for somebody. And I have repeatedly found that these people really can cut through the, to the riffraff and just, it helped me 
uh, clarify what I want and how to, how to get there. People who have done this before, and I might even have living beliefs, and they go, oh, that's really easy to do. And it is? Because, yeah, 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 it's easy. You can do it. And you see these, these comments from experienced people, they're like, it, it, it happened to me several times where all of a sudden this confidence starts to, starts to grow up. And we, you know, and that's really the value. I think, I mean, fundamentally, I think people can ultimately achieve the same result uh, on their own. It just takes a lot longer. It's much more painful mm. and they lose a lot more money. Um, so I don't think you need coaching, but if you want to uh, get there faster and make less mistakes, coaching is, is unbelievably invaluable. But the main downside is you have to invest in that. And, and a lot of people have a, have a problem with that. And some people ask me, you know, what is the, what is, what's the best kind of investment you, we can make? I know you're in wealth of family, but is it this deal, that deal, this asset class? And I say, you know what? The best investment you can make is in yourself. The ROI on that is like infinite. So if you got $5,000, you don't know what to do with that. And you think of maybe doing a crowdfunding thing or buying a single fund. Don't do that. Go find someone and learn what they have uh, to teach. And that is going to pay way more because the, the, the ROI in these things is 10x, 100x every mm -hmm. time I, I do it. And it's very rare, by the way, that the system doesn't work. Otherwise, people wouldn't stay in business. Never the system. It's always the individual. So that would be my, my best advice is find someone. Again, there's a bunch, bunch of people that's, that's, uh, that teach a bunch of things. Find someone you resonate with and then just uh, start you know, spending money with them, invest with them, get close to them, attend their events, do their courses, read their books or, or whatever. Yeah, well, well said. And, and we were talking before the show of, you know, I left last year to, to invest full time and, and all of the mistakes. And, you know, I had a few coaches, a few mentors, have the education, the books, but you have literally gone across and outlined all the mistakes and now there's some mistakes, but the commonalities of someone going through that struggle. And I, I love that. I, cause it made me resonate reading the book and I'm like, yep, I went through that. That was great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I've done it. I, I made all the mistakes and then I, I and I, I just want to, I'm like the crash test dummy, dummy of financial freedom. I've done so much stuff. <laughs> Right. And, and I, yeah. I just want to, I just want to help people get there faster than, than me. And so, you know, we'll, we'll still see, we'll see, still see people make mistakes and we learn from those. Hey, don't do that. You know, do this, don't do that. So, and so all that is in the book and I'm sure I'm stuff I've left, I've left out stuff that we haven't seen yet. Right. But, mm -hmm. but it's, I, I just, I truly try to put myself in the person's shoes that's, you know, at their job every day and they're like, enough is enough. And what are they thinking right now? And I think the, the, the temptation is as, as we get bigger and bigger and quote more successful, we start losing touch with a person sitting in their cubicle, right? And I don't, I don't want that to happen. I want to, I remember exactly what it's like to be in that situation, right? Because if I, if I own 10,000 units, it's going to be really hard for me to, uh, you know, to remember what that's, what that's like. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to make sure that, you know, I, I stay in tune with that because that's really my audience. That's really my mission is to help you yeah. go from zero to hundred units, right? Cause once you get that, you, you can take it from hundred to your problem set becomes totally different. Um, yeah. But going from that zero to, to that first deal, that's, that's a really, really high hurdle for most people to overcome. Mm -hmm. And well said, and your book does a wonderful job like that. And I want to talk about some of the common mistakes that you most see with your co coaching students. What, what are some of the like two to three pitfalls that you see most? I mean, fundamentally, I study this. I study why are some people successful and some why are not. Hmm. And, and it doesn't, it frankly, it doesn't even appear to have a correlation between money spent either, which is very puzzling. You figure someone spends $20,000 for a coaching program, they must be really committed. And then four weeks later, they, they, you know, they accept the promotion that requires them to travel, you know, 80% of the time. 
it seems to be incongruent with their path to financial freedom. And so I'm confused, right? So I, st I start mm -hmm. studying this stuff. And what I'm finding really is that, um, is that a person hasn't truly decided on something. And I think it's like that with anything, uh, quitting, the, uh, quitting smoking or, or losing weight or anything like that. I, you know, I, uh, I see it with my own family and others, and all of a sudden something happens. And oftentimes it's a traumatic experience, right? It's a, it's a death or an illness or, or something like that. And that rattles people's cages. And that's really too bad that it has to come to that. Um, but then there's others who, you know, an event happens like the one I just described with Brad Tasha, and that rattles him, right? And then there's the other who I would say their awareness is, is a little bit higher. It doesn't have to come to that. They can sit there, you know, in ohm state and go, hey, what do I really want in life? And then they decide what they want. And what, what I've observed is, and I can't always tell when someone has decided or not, but I, I can tell that they have in, in hindsight because what happens is when someone has truly decided, the only possible outcome uh, can be what they've already decided. If that makes any sense. Like um, there's this odd phenomenon law of attraction, whatever you want to call it. But if, if, if I'm just, if I already decide I'm going to quit my job and do multifamily and I truly have, there can be no other outcome but that. And, 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 and related to that is I can have no other choice but to take action from that point on. The details are all secondary and I, I, I have to take action because I've already decided it. It would be incongruent if I didn't take action, I've already decided it. And if I study people who have not taken the action or stopped taking action and I, I press them on it, it turns out that their current life ain't so bad. Their plan B is actually not a bad plan A. Hmm. Okay, so, hey, fine. If there's no problem to solve, then don't do it, right? So, and, and, and I think you can work on this. So if you really think that you really are done with your job and you're telling me right now, I'm done with your job, I'm signing up for your $25,000 approaching program, say, great, you know, I'll take your money, but before I do, really be clear about that really be clear because because i really want to help you change your life and this may require you to position your current life in a way that is unacceptable to you my current life cannot i can't be in the same spot i am right now in 12 months from now and if the idea of that is actually not so bad you know why bother honestly why bother but if you can get to that place then i've helped you get to that place and now not only are you going to you know do a bunch of stuff but now you're going to be successful because you went there and you said that in your current life, whatever I have right now is no longer acceptable to me. And I think people have to get to that point. Well said moving away from that fear, right. And that, that pain and, and taking that action. Um, it's just such a wonderful insight that you have that. Right. And I, and I'm, I'm sure that means the world to your coaching students and you know, people that follow along through the podcast. So it's got to feel pretty good, huh? Well, we try. I mean, we, we try. Yeah. We're, we're, we're constantly tweaking with our coaching process. We're trying to figure out how we can get people to be successful, not just so we get, you know, testimonials, but so, so we really feel like we have an impact. And, and that's kind of what I want to do. Um, and how, what can we do? You know, if someone's not taking action, why are they not taking action? What can we do better? Uh, if it's taking someone to get over a certain hurdle, what can we do to get, to get that person over that, over that hurdle? So, we're constantly working with our, our coaches and, and, and trying to figure out what we can do better. And so I'm really excited. We're about to kind of revo revive our, uh, not revive, our, uh, revise our, pro our coaching program because of the feedback we've gotten and the stuff we're going to put out is going to be just phenomenal. I'm really excited about it, uh, about <clears throat> where it's going. So it's going to be cool. Well, that's great. I, I love that you, you, you're continually growing, right? And, and that's, if you, if you talk to an amazing teacher, they always say they're a student, right? They're always reworking themselves. They're always learning and reading books. So that's a, yeah. a sign of a great mentor. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you're a teacher. I, I, I can see that. And every time you teach something, you learn it. It, it becomes, mm. it comes stronger for, for you. And, and that's, and, and I'm just always a student. I mean, I see your pile of books behind you and uh, mine are, tend to be on Kindle now. So I don't have a pile anymore, but yeah. I just love to read uh, because every time I do it, I, I learn something. And so really being that student and a teacher, I think they do go mm. hand in hand. Well said. Now you said you like to study people. So, so is there someone that you have looked up to or, you know, some successful author of, you know, favorite of all time? I don't know favorite of all time because I read so many books. It's, it's difficult to, yeah. uh, to look at. Uh, I'm reading uh, Elon Musk right now, which uh, okay. so Elon is a kind of, kind of crazy guy. And, you know, after being successful with PayPal, um, and he quote financially free. He didn't want to make a bunch of money. He wanted to actually change the world. And that's really what I think financial freedom does. Once you get to that point, mm. all of a sudden you're like, what do I do in my life? You know, mm. I don't want to make a bunch of money because I kind of did that. So what else is there? Oh, well, you know what? I got a crazy thought. Maybe I'll try to make the world a better place. And I see that with most people, Scott, who have become financially free, there's this, uh, there's this temporary sense of confusion about what they want to do with mm. yourself. And they, don't know what to do themselves. They're home at two o'clock in the afternoon. And then over time, they, 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 they find their purpose because now they have this vacuum in their brain, which was formerly occupied by their 50 plus hour uh, job. And now they fill it with other things like their purpose, their passion. And most of them I find gravitate towards helping other people. Right. So, uh, and I, I'd love to talk to you about, you know, where you are in that because you're full time doing what you're doing. And so all of a sudden, what do I do myself now? And so Elon is, is the same way. I want to change the world. And I want to have an impact on people. And he's just a crazy big thinker. And, and I mm. just love being around people. And I, I would say I'm, an, I'm getting better in that. I wouldn't say I'm all this visionary big thinker. I have, you know, limiting beliefs and boundaries like, like everybody else. And every time I talk to somebody who has done something at a much higher level, I study them. Because for mm. some reason, they're operating at a much higher level and it's no big deal to them. It's just like me operating at my level and someone who's never done it before. So how can Michael operate this level? I can't, I can't fathom this. And I can't fathom you know, how someone can have 10,000 units or whatever, or do this or, you know, invent a perfect, uh, you know, space travel. And how, mm -hmm. how are they thinking and what allows them to do that? So anyway, that's what I'm currently reading. I love that. That's amazing. You know, looking at successful people and looking for those breadcrumbs that are left behind. It's beautiful. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap things up. And before we do, uh, this is the first time I've ever done this. So this is called the interview three. So we're asking you three quick best tips when it comes to business, real estate, and life. So it can be something you learned last 90 days or of all time. So best business tip you ever got. Best business tip. Well, was it business, real estate, and, and life? And life. Was it business, real estate for me are like one of the same thing, right? So that's, yes. that's kind of a... That's kind of a, a thing. I, I think um, this probably goes across all three of them, but specifically, I think we do go all three of them. And this mm -hmm. is a theme that literally like the last week was relevant. I was part of a mastermind and uh, the thing that kept coming back for me was clarity. And we talked a little bit about that, about being single. And clarity really is the foundation for all three of those. If I were to fundamentally ask that, I have found whenever I'm unclear about something, I struggle. Uh, I have challenged mm -hmm. in anything, business, real estate, or, or life. Um, I was in another ma uh, mastermind and, and, um, and um, he was, someone was describing to me what they, what they wanted to do, what they're, we're going around doing our 12 to, you know, one to five year goals. And he's going on and on. And, and, and I, you know, I call him Sam. I call everybody Sam. I said, Sam, I, I'm not sure if you're really clear about what you want. And he looked at me and he goes, hmm, I think you're right. 
Hmm. And he had all these things and he was going back and forth. And, and so I've done this myself. And I've, on the other hand, I found that if I'm really clear, like for example, if I'm really clear about my mission to help people become free, financially free with real estate, it really simplifies things. Now, should I, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? And it makes it very simple for, for me. If I, if I want to bring on someone, is that person, do they love my mission or they may have something else in mind? It just clarifies things. And so hmm. I think for business and real estate and even in life, being really clear about what you want is really important. And the only way to get that is, is, um, you know, introspection, reflection. Um, and that goes to the life thing. I think one thing that really made a difference to me is kind of the miracle morning by Hal Elrod, right? That mm. did that about two and a half years ago, been doing that for two and a half years, really of, um, to have a morning routine. And that mm -hmm. quote forces you or allows you to think about things, to reflect things on, you know, what do I want? Uh, what do I really enjoy? And man, gosh, becoming cl clarity really, I think fundamentally will uh, move the needle across all parts of, of people's lives. It's amazing. I love that clarity. Um, wonderful tips. Thank you so much for that. Um, before we sign off, you want to tell listeners where the best place to find out more about you and where to pick up a copy of your book? Yeah, the book is on Amazon it's called Financial Freedom, Freedom with Real Estate Investing. Here it is. It's bright yellow. And um, it's called The Blueprint to Quitting a Job with Real Estate, Even Without Cash uh, Experience or Cash. It's on Amazon right now. And people can find more about me on uh, the website. It's themichaelblank.com. That's T-H-E, Michael, and then B-L-A-N-K.com. Or just type in apartment building investing in Google and you will find me. And I have a bunch of free resources. I have a podcast. I have a YouTube mm -hmm. channel. I have blog articles. And then when you're done with that and you're a little bit more serious, perhaps I have uh, training, coaching and other programs. If you decide it's uh, something that you want to pursue. Definitely. And that's great. And I'll link all that in the show notes. And, and like I said, everything you've, you've listed above high regards through all the people I've met over the last year and, and myself included. So thank you very much. I know I gained so much from today's interview and I hope the listeners do as well. So Thanks, Michael. Well, Scott, it was great questions, and, and thank you so much for having me on the show today. And that concludes our book club interview with author Michael Blanc, who wrote the book Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It is the blueprint to quitting your job with real estate, even without experience or cash. There's amazing information and knowledge in this book, how to raise all the money you need to finish your first deal, how to get your offers accepted, how to analyze deals and make offers in as little as 10 minutes, which Michael spoke during the interview. I highly recommend this book. This is a, a phenomenal book by someone who is highly analytical and intelligent, and he has broken down the common mistakes that you're probably gonna go through as uh, in the process of learning the real estate multifamily syndication business. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. That's it for this week. Make sure you check us out on Facebook and Instagram as well. We're starting to put out more content on there so you can stay up to date to the authors we're interviewing and the education we're learning. We'll see you next time.